Leanne Hughes is my guest today on the show. Leanne is a trainer and facilitator. She's based in Brisbane in Australia. She's also a podcaster, just like me, and she's the host of the First Time Facilitator podcast. She's got really bubbly personality and is full of ideas, which she's going to share with you today. And I've asked Leanne on the show because principally we're going to reflect on the seven things that she and I have learned from starting facilitation or training businesses, and we're going to share those with you. So in today's episode, why you don't have to stay busy all the time. And that's interesting because many of us naturally working for ourselves sometimes don't switch off. And that's something I've learned to do uh, better increasingly. Secondly, what constructive delusion means, constructive delusion I hadn't heard that term, and Leanne explains that today. Number three, why you need to be agile in your business. And being agile means being responsive to demands from customers and the marketplace. How to ask for a great referral from clients. Why you have to do this and do it very, very well, because we are, of course, people who live and die by our ability to leverage the kind words and positive feedback that other people have for our training businesses, which helps us to attract great clients. Why social proof is so, so important as a facilitator, being able to leverage the kind things that people say about us to attract other clients. How to use LinkedIn to build relationships. And LinkedIn's a tricky place, admittedly, because the algorithm that runs it is unknown to us. It's complex, but we can use LinkedIn in ways that actually create trust and build a relationship and why that's so important. Where you can protect your time and energy. And again, this is something that many of us sometimes uh, whittle away because we're, we're not focused on the times of day or the times of the week when we're likely to be you know, really, really productive and how we can do this better. And lastly, a suggestion from me, why a no-screen day at least once a week can actually help your mind. We're also going to mention some resources and some great books that you can check out to help your facilitation brand. This is the Training Business Podcast every Thursday. Check out the episode now. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Hi, my name is Mark. I'm the host of the Training Business Podcast. It's my pleasure to welcome you to another episode of the show. This is the weekly show for people like you and me, people who are freelance trainers, freelance facilitators, people who own training businesses, training consultants, organizational psychologists, people around the world who work in the business of training. And the goal of this episode and every episode of the show is to help you to start to grow and to scale your business. Now, before the music, I mentioned that today's guest is a fellow podcaster. Her name is Leanne Hughes. She's based in Brisbane in Australia. And Leanne and I are going to reflect on the things that we, she and I, have learned from starting our respective businesses. And those cover topics today like mindset, uh, the importance of your email list, the reason you need to be agile in your approach to business, uh, why social proof is so key, uh, how you use LinkedIn to generate relationships, how you protect your time and energy, and of course, then a couple of other things that we'll throw in in today's episode. Leanne, hi. Welcome to the show. Mark, thank you so much for being here. Good morning from Ireland, and it's uh, evening time with you in uh, Brisbane, Australia. 
It is. And you know what I said just to you then uh, before, Mark, I said, thanks for being here. And I'm on your show. I'm a podcast host. I'm so used to that sort of response. So yeah, I'm in Brisbane, um, over the other side of the world. So we're talking um, at on two very different time zones, my evening, your morning. Yeah. Uh, and it's the way of the world, isn't it? The way um, training has gone, facilitation has gone. We're now helping people, serving people all around the place. And it's, um, I was actually doing some sales training four weeks ago from 10 o'clock at night till midnight with uh, uh, a guy and a girl in, a st- in, in Brisbane, actually. And, and that's, that's one of the, fu- the funny ways that the business has gone. So I want to talk to you today about the things that you've learned. And you've got seven things you've learned from starting your solopreneur training business. Um, why don't we dive into those? The first one you've got is mindset. Why, why is mindset number one on your list? I really didn't want mindset to be number one because I'm all about the practical hacks and the tips and strategies, but everything, as you know, Mark, it it does come down to mindset, particularly when you work in an organization and you leave. Um, I think we've been indoctrinated in the way that corporate life should be. I was even um, hesitating making decisions on my own business. And I'm like, hang on, Leanne, you're your own boss. Um, And the amount of times that, I think you you had Alan Weiss on your show previously, who's brilliant. And he talks about being fearless. And I think that is such an important attribute for us. We have to be fearless in the way that we communicate our value. We've got to be fearless in picking up the phone and reaching out. We have to be fearless in the way that we value ourselves. And so that, you know, this whole self-worth thing, the assumptions we make, it all comes down to mindset. I found that um, a really big deal initially when I left corporate and found myself thinking, you know, I, I could I could take today off or, or I could just, you know, lift the phone and... Um, to some kind of lead generation. What was that like for you when you left the corporate life and found yourself thinking for yourself and having to be, yeah, be responsible for lead generation, revenue generation? What, what kind of mindset challenges did you face? Uh, well, I guess we're so used to getting a steady income. So then, I mean, it was really, it took me about 12 months to really break out of this habit. Also the habit around um, the amount of time we need to work and, and keeping busy. And I think that was the thing. I thought I had to stay busy. So I was on the computer because that's what work looks like in corporate. It's like presenteeism culture, just be active for the nine hours a day. Um, and I was doing that when I left my business. It took me a while to sort of wake up and we'll talk a bit about time and energy a bit later on. In terms of lead Jen, I didn't have any type of strategy at all. Um, I, and, and again, this is part of- um, Well, that's interesting. <laughs> it is, it is. I, because when I was working internally, I was getting a few requests and I thought, oh yeah, I can build a business on the back of this. And I think it was very, it's kind of good to have construct, I call it constructive delusion. I probably wouldn't have left my job if I knew exactly what it took to build a business, but I had this optimism, I had faith- so I, I made the leap and I've been learning along the way, which has been great. Explain the term constructive delusion, Leanne. That's curious. Yeah, I did a blog post about it. Um, well, I, even last year, I set a challenge to run 2020 kilometers, which I did achieve, but I did that under the assumption of constructive delusion. I thought I, I've just got to run 5Ks a day. What I failed to think about was if I miss a day, I've got to run 10, 11 Ks the following day if I miss one. And so it was the same thing about business. I was like, oh, I'll just jump out. I'm sure I'll get, I'll get, I've got one or two inquiries right now. And I'm sure if I get that every month, um, things will take care of themselves. And what I realized is that that doesn't actually happen. And you've got to be more proactive. You've got to be quite strategic about referrals. Um, and it is a numbers game as well. So the constructive delusion, I think it can serve you. It absolutely does. We wouldn't do anything in the world if we didn't have a bit of constructive delusion. Um, but 
two years in, two years plus, I'm, I'm glad I'm a bit more aware now, a bit more conscious. Yeah. And, and for people listening, mindset is a huge thing because, I mean, pa- the pandemic, COVID-19, has made things exponentially difficult for many of us. We're working from home. We have uh, families to look after. We've got um, things we'd love to do we can't do anymore. And we're kind of cooped up in this, um, yeah, this bubble, hoping for an end. If anything, it's made working for yourself are just a bit harder. So for people who are thinking of of making the leap from the corporate life to working f- on their own as facilitators, as strainers, after the pandemic, what would you say? I think it's linked into another point I'm going to make about being agile. And I'm, I'm trying not to use the word pivot here. <laughs> no, please don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Um, just being, being ag- agile in your, pro- uh, in your approach and recognizing, and, and I think we know this as facilitators, right? When we run a workshop, we know that we've got to go with, um, we have outcomes, but things can happen in our workshops that are unpredictable. And we've got to sort of steer it, keep to the true north if we can, but we're you know, we have an outcome, but we have to be flexible. And the same approach that we use in our facilitation that works so well, we have to then use on ourselves in business. Um, and so, recognizing that a lot of the problems we solve are still relevant, even more so today. Um, but back to mindset, it's all about having that confidence to talk to people, find out what's, you know, uh, what their problems are, which I'm sure, Mark, you've shared on your show, it's about training business. And then being agile in, in that delivery and also that growth mindset being um, open to trying new technology and not closing that off. Um, Yeah, I I think that would be my advice. So that's what you mean by agile, being agile in your approach. Yes, yes, because I... um, when I started my business, I thought, oh, I'll just have these three workshops and I'll just sell those. I'll do this lunch and learn. I'll package it up. I'll make it brilliant. I'll put marketing materials around it. Um, I haven't sold one of those pre-packaged workshops. People come to me for all different types of things that I then develop. Uh, that's where the agile part comes in. It's like, oh, well, I thought the market wanted this, but they actually want this. Yeah, and, and it's true. And from people who've perhaps not grown up with technology, they've they've come from the school of facilitation where they are, let's say, used to uh, flip charts, whiteboards, face-to-face interaction. This is really difficult. Um, now everyone we're, we're serving is, is one inch high, one inch wide on a screen. Uh, we can't meet them. Um, and we have to, to be responsive to the way that the market's moving, which increasingly is using tools like Mentimeter and uh, Personify and uh, Benji and and uh, what else? Mural and Miro. And these are things which didn't exist, yeah, even a year ago. So we have to be agile. We've got to be listening to what customers want. And it's it's understandable that we would think, you know, I've come from the corporate world. This is my strength. This is what I'll do. But then the plans ripped up because things like COVID happen. The market changes. People's demands and interests change. And we have to be really able to, well, there we go, pivot. There, I've said it um, on, <laughs> on a dime and just, and just develop something quite quickly. And also, I think what's happened is in terms of agile, um, we've to... To, to make micro changes consistently. And I think that the way that we're running businesses now will not be the way they are in two years' time. I think there's changes. Changes are constant, isn't it, Leanne? It's, it's never going to end. Um, as, as trainers, as business owners, we literally have to be just customer-focused. And that means listening to them and having uh, the clarity to, to realize, hey, there's an opportunity here. It, it isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, what about number two, email list? Uh, number three, I should say, email list. What, what is what have you learned on that topic? 
it's something I wish I'd started straight away. So before I left my corporate job, I had a podcast. Um, I had about 50 episodes, been running it for a year. But because I hadn't needed to monetize it, I, it was my hobby, right? So I, it was basically, I'll just have fun conversations, I'll release them. Um, but I didn't think about creating an email list and getting people subscribed to that. And I think there's a few, it's a really good way to, to test different things. So as an example, um, um, do you talk about lead magnets on your show, Mark? Yeah, yeah. I had a guy called Kevin McGrath back two years ago who has a site called um, beacon.by, actually, and uh, that helps people to create lead magnets, literally PDFs, downloadables, checklists automatically, and then um, link to them on a site. So it's quite cool. Yeah, so lead magnets are key. Yeah. That's great. Well, you got the practical tip there. So get onto that website. If you haven't got an email list already, please like get one up. Because um, I was getting, I was building an audience on the podcast. I've got a Facebook group. I've got all these other mediums that are hosted on other channels, and I hadn't actually been funneling people to my email list. And in terms of my business and when I've sold direct to consumer or even talked about my latest services and offerings, it's always been that email list which has driven uh, the bulk of buying decisions. So um, you build up your trust through that, through great content on that. What I try and do every week is try to solve a headache that my um, ideal sort of target audience might have and just be a value. Um, But consistently build that up, something I wish I'd started sooner. So as a trainer, we're, we're operating on rented space, rented ground, when we base our business on someone else's territory, which in this case would be Facebook, it could be um, yeah, a range of other channels. But the idea of an email list is that we have our own audience. We've, we have this drop of 500, 1,000, maybe more people um, whom we can literally reach out to. So as a trainer, someone who is depending upon uh, the audience to to accept what they're doing, to like what they're doing, to engage with them on the basis of what they're doing, we need some kind of email list. So what what system do you use? Is it ConvertKit? I, I, I use ConvertKit. I did start off using MailChimp, but it just didn't have the functionality that I required or the templates. ConvertKit is quite sophisticated in the way that you can target. So you can see who's clicked a link and then add them to another list. And um, yeah, what do you use, Mark? I use Mailchimp actually, um, but I'm I am thinking of making the leap to ConvertKit at some point. Um, it's and it's the thing that I think often bothers people is that you know I, I'm going to become a trainer, I'm going to become someone who's a consultant, and I'm I haven't a clue how websites and landing pages thing uh, things like that work, and I've no idea how ConvertKit works. So I'm just conscious that some people might listen to this and say, "What on earth is ConvertKit?" Essentially, it's a tool which we can use to hook up a form on a website, give people something like a lead magnet, which could be a checklist or uh, some kind of downloadable thing. And then uh, we create a list of people and then we can email them uh, on on various occasions. When, when do you email people? I'm just curious. Is it once a week or are there particular occasions when you email people? Well, I kind of joke about it. So on my website, it's like, oh, you can get the flip chart fortnightly-ish. <laughs> Because uh, it depends. At the beginning of the year, I was very consistent. I had time. I was writing. Like I was doing a lot of journaling and writing and exploring topics. Uh, now that the year has ramped up, it's when I have something of value to offer um, or in the lead up to any type of launch, I'll be a bit more consistent. So I, I don't really want to send emails that uh, there is value in, in posting consistently. And a lot of the people that I follow do that. And I find that amazing. But I don't want to share something that I don't think is of value just just to meet a publishing deadline. Mm. Okay. Number four, I think, is social proof is king. Absolutely agree with you on that one. What do we mean by social proof? 
Yeah. Well, I guess it's all well and good for us to talk about how great we are and but it's the, the third-party testimonials, as you know, Mark, which really sing to people. Um, and I found a really great formula for doing this. A guy that I follow called Sean D'Souza has a great seven-question sequence, but it's really about after you've delivered a workshop, uh, at the speed of which you do this is actually really important. Um, that curve of forgetting plays out when it comes to testimonials as well. Oh, Ebbinghaus's forgetting curve. Yeah, yeah. that's right. So You've forgotten his name. There you go. That's the proof. Who is it? Sorry? Ebbinghaus. Ah, <laughs> uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. I have to pop a link to that in the show notes. I've, how ironic. I forgot the guy that created that. Um, yeah. And so reaching out to them as quickly as I can. I, I prefer, I love if I can to get a video testimonial. Now, if you can get one in your workshop, that is even better. And the beauty of virtual is that you, many, a lot of the time we're recording our Zoom sessions. So we if with the client's permission, we might be able to use that in a potential testimonial um, or just like the engagement that we've recorded, like use that to highlight how engaging our virtual workshops are. But once you have the video, you can pop that on the website, then you can get the text and the audio and repurpose that. And I also like getting a cross-section of people depending on who I'm targeting. So, it might be like a learning and development manager, it might be a CEO, it could be um, a GM, of it. like it depends on the target, but just try to get people that my ideal buyers would associate with as well. So it's all about timing. So once you have delivered something which is um, of value to someone, you want them to, at that moment, at that time when their kind of emotional state is high, to to say something nice about you. Do you do you have people objecting to that and saying, you know, for X reason, I, I don't want my face on camera or my... I don't want you to take pictures and use this in your LinkedIn feed. No, I actually haven't. Um, I don't know if it's because maybe I've planted the seed. So that's another strategy is to plant the seed. It's a great question, Mark. Um, if as you're talking to them through the proposal, even saying things like, hey, if we do a really good job, would you, would you be okay with um, recording a testimonial so I can share with people on like in future? So you can plant the seed early um, and then when you ask them, it's not unexpected. Also be, yeah, you you can give them options. So video is an option or we can hop on a Zoom call and talk about it or record it. Or just if you can answer these questions and send them back via text, um, that's fine too. So, of course, as you know, yeah, just being um, mindful of their favourite medium as well. And so the, the timing is key, isn't it? It's, it's a question of saying, you know, I've just delivered something, you like it. And, and I find that when I've asked for testimonials, even three days after an event, uh, people just don't respond, they forget to, or they promise something and it kind of slips from the, the mind. So timing is key. Social proof, by the way, for people listening, is a concept developed by Robert Cialdini way, way back at the time he published a book called The Science of Persuasion. Um, and effectively means that we're influenced by the thoughts and actions of other people. So if if we are uh, in the market of convincing people to take us on as trainers, as facilitators, as consultants, as coaches. We need to not just say nice things about ourselves. We have to leverage the things that people say about us. Isn't that funny? And, and in his in his book, then, Presuasion, his, his next book, Cialdini um, talked about how it's important to think of ways that we can actually leverage people's introduction powers. So if we want someone to introduce us or refer us, we have to almost coach them in terms of how they introduce us uh, and I found this time and time again. If I'm asking someone for a referral, and if I leave it up to them to do, come up with the the words themselves, uh, they struggle. They make excuses. Whereas if I put together some kind of outline, 
and say, this is something you can refer to, I've done for other people, or it's something that you could say, which sounds natural to you, um, it's more than likely going to work. Um, do you find that when you're asking for referrals, there's a particular formula, formula that you use to get people to actually say yes and then to do a good job of it? It's exactly what you've said. I, I love that book. Um, and I think this also comes back to the first topic we talked about, which was mindset and actually being, I, I have provided value and I am, this isn't, there's a, often a struggle. I struggled with it for the first year um, I was out of as a corporate trainer was actually getting that confidence to think, hey, I did have value here. Can you please refer me on and being specific around that? And this even comes down to what you're talking about in terms of spelling out what the referral would look like. Um, even with the testimonial sometimes, like if you've heard them say something to you, if you can just note that verbatim and then send it back in an email going, hey, you said this on the call, would you mind if we turn this into a, a, te a testimonial on my website? So there is a certain, I would, if you can't, as you said, Mark, rely on them to provide it. It's what can we do? How can we take that control back to to get that uh, testimonial or referral? But being specific is absolutely key. Next is LinkedIn use. This this is the next thing you've learned from starting your solopreneur training business. W what do you mean specifically by LinkedIn use as opposed to LinkedIn as a platform? Yeah, I I am oscillating between my response here. So <laughs> when I when, when I started. Uh, quit my job. I was on LinkedIn daily posting. Now, in the last three months, I've really dropped that right back. And now I'm focusing more on personal relationships. And now we can run events in Australia. I'm doing more open events um, and invite breakfast. Oh, you're so lucky. I know. I know. And I thought that now is it like, again, back to timing, it's the right time because everyone's so sick of virtual events. We just want to gather together. So I'm trying to take advantage of that right now. Um, and that's why I am sort of reducing my LinkedIn usage. I've also seen LinkedIn really change over the last couple of years. And uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary V, he's been sprouting a lot about it. And it just seems to have gotten very busy on the platform. But in terms of my brand, it's been... Um, it's really built up over LinkedIn, over consistent posting. And it's really interesting. People that do call me, they've never engaged with content. I've forgotten that we were even connected on LinkedIn, but their opening line is, hey, I've seen what you've been doing on LinkedIn and da, da, da. So that's what I find really fascinating is that you, you think you're posting, you've got people engaging that you, you think are warm, but these other people are actually watching what you're doing. Um, they sometimes comment that, oh, you're so brave posting videos on LinkedIn. I don't actually think they watch the videos or even retain the message of what I'm talking about. But the act of people find LinkedIn a very scary platform to sort of be yourself on. So if you are being authentic on that platform, um, you get a lot of sort of admiration from other people, which is, I find interesting. Yeah, have you found that, Mark? Yeah, I have. I think that um, to my mind, LinkedIn can actually be some ways uh, debilitating because it's an algorithm. It's it's something driven by code. We we don't know how that works and it changes. Uh, Google has the Google dance, which means that every now and again, Google just shuffles things around on the dance floor of, of search engine optimization and your website's doing well one week and the next month it's not doing so well. LinkedIn's the same in a way that um, the algorithm is changing consistently and sometimes your posts are being viewed and other times you've no idea why the interaction isn't so high. But I, I salute you and I salute anyone listening who who turns up on LinkedIn. I would agree with you about the, the frequency. It's easy to get duped into thinking, you know, I'm going to post every day and that might just, you know, it'll bring in business. It may not necessarily, but 
there are lurkers, which I guess is what you're referring to, Leanne, these people out there who may not necessarily engage or like your stuff or respond to it, but they see it. And it, it, if nothing else, it confirmed, confirms that you're out there and that you've got something of value to offer. What would you say is the percentage rate of, of responses on LinkedIn that you get, let's say for every 50 posts or videos? Is there a number? Do you mean responses in uh, conversion to yeah, work? Yeah, conver- exactly. Conversion to work. Exactly. Conversion to work. I find that difficult to answer because this is a long game, as you know, with, and it's kind of linked to relationships as well. Um, I'm trying to think of a recent. Oh, yeah. So recent, uh, earlier this year, um, I posted an article. It was about diversity, but I ended up sort of sharing it in the inbox to someone, again, targeting my my um, relationships and direct messaging someone I knew. And they wrote back saying, oh, thanks so much. And that was it. And then a week later, someone within their organization rang me and I got some work running some focus groups. Now, I don't know if that was, I think that was a direct link from a an actual sort of outreach on LinkedIn for that. Um, she didn't say it was, but I think it, I was top of mind um, for that. So, it's probably, I don't know how to how to answer that because it's all, I don't see it as, I'm not selling, I don't go on a video to sell a workshop. I go on these things to spark conversation, to then have a conversation, which then will eventually lead to work or me staying, as Alan would say, on their radar screens, the top of mind. Yeah, I like that top of mind. So when they think of X, they think of Leanne. When they think of X, they think of Mark. Um, so we're not necessarily able to say that this particular video or this particular uh, campaign of messages has led to X, but it's probably quite, I think, helpful to say that unless you're on LinkedIn doing something, it's not really going to do much for you. Um, I, I think, I think I'd rather be a producer than a consumer on LinkedIn. I find it's easy to get sucked into other people's conversations. So I think there's nothing wrong with commenting and, and adding to other people's conversations, but I would rather produce than, than consume on LinkedIn. And it, at the same time, as, as a facilitator listening to this, just being conscious that you may never know exactly which videos, which posts uh, lead to an actual conversion, lead to, lead to business. But uh, it is a specialist area in itself. Do you, do you find that um, there are things in LinkedIn you don't like, you don't understand that, uh, you'd rather not to? Probably my dislike for things on LinkedIn relates to other content that I see, like stuff that just people that say things that are extremely obvious, like collaboration is important. You know, and, and then- <laughs> Empty I, stuff. You know, yeah. And it's like, okay, yeah. we, all, we all know that, right? So I actually like the contrarian perspectives. Um, there was something I was involved in when I first started. So two years ago, I was involved in LinkedIn pods for about three months. Mm-hmm. Do you, want, you know what a pod is? It's where I you think I do. comment. Yeah, so you have a group of people, you post, you comment on each other's work. Now, that actually back then, two years ago, that worked really well um, in terms of just my growth on, um, in profile. But then I had a moment of reflection and integrity thinking, well, what what boiled down to was I was in this group and I had to keep commenting and supporting posts that I didn't necessarily want to support. And I was like, oh, I can't do this. It's like a mutual appreciation society. That's right. Yeah. And, and and it's what I kind of dislike the most is like, I, I, and I see it now and that's fine. I think everyone's got, um, has their own ways of doing things. So no judgment there, but just from my own perspective, I had to bail from that. Uh, yeah. But I think it's like we talked about before, if you can move someone from LinkedIn to your own platform. So like you say, you're not at the mercy of that algorithm. Um, then you, then you're doing well. 
The next one then, Leanne, is time and energy protection. I absolutely agree with this. And I think that if anything, COVID has, I won't keep saying COVID, but COVID and and the current situation I'm in has made me realize that um, time is precious and that we can so easily get dragged into empty LinkedIn conversations or even topics which have nothing to do with what we do and earn money doing. And we can also spend massive amounts of time in in channels or in activities which don't yield anything. If we think of time and energy as being the most important resources that we have, mental health, physical health, what, what have you learned in, in terms of protecting your energy and time as a facilitator, someone who runs her own training business? Energy is is number one for me. And we're talk, talking just prior to hitting record here that um, I try to, I have uh, something called Founder's Time that I learned from Jenny Blake. She is the author of the book Pivot. Um, there we go, the word again. Um, but Monday, I Monday and Friday, I try to just not have any meetings at all. Um, of course, when you have client work and things like that, um, you've got to be flexible with it. But where I can, I just block them off in my calendar so no one booking time with me can book in. I protect the mornings because that's when I have, like most people, creative energy. I feel excited. Um, and then I save any external meetings if I can for the afternoon. When So then I can dedicate the time to, like Stephen Covey says, like the important, not urgent stuff. But I think, uh, Mark, the hardest part here is we don't know, sometimes we just don't know what's going to lead to an opportunity and that leaves us very vulnerable in accepting every opportunity that comes along uh, for for exposure, for, yeah, I don't know, have you faced it as well where you, just, you get these invites and for a conversation, you think, oh, this could potentially lead somewhere. So it's, I have to be quite strict with that and really find out like, what do you want and and get, dig a little bit deeper before I commit to things now. Um, yeah. Yeah, I was writing a blog post on this over the weekend, in fact, and I've, I've just become really conscious of the fact that now, um, because there's a sameness to, to many days, it, it's more important than ever to to find some way to break up the week, but not just to break it up in a way to package it off, uh, but to actually say, what is my most productive time? And energy, to my mind, is, is another great point of yours, Leanne, which is that we all are different. Some of us are night people. Some of us are morning people. So just thinking, when am I most productive? It could be that you've got kids and you're a, you know, you're a parent with, with a bunch of responsibilities, including homework and, and things like that. And you've got to say, when can I ring fence time to get things done? What is the most productive time for me? One guy I know actually um, has his kids off to bed and then he takes time away from his wife and then he's got time from 10 to midnight. That would kill me. I couldn't do that. But I find in the morning, you know, uh, up this morning, an hour's walk back, um, kind of break time into blocks if I can. But being conscious that I know that come one o'clock, I'm going to crash. I literally will just fade and particularly after a lunchtime. So I've got to go for another walk. Um, so we have to think of what is the most effective and efficient use of time. Um, when is the time of day that you, for example, get your most cognitive work done? The best quality output could be a video, it could be a blog post, it could be an article, it could be something which requires maximum attention and focus. Of course, help with coffee. Um, but then there are times of the day that you know, let's just say I might just not do my best writing, but I might do my best thinking and, and again, ring fencing that. But definitely what, what I've learned is that I am tied to a physical being. And there's an Irish poet you may have heard of called W.B. Yeats. 
and um, he said, my soul is fastened to a dying animal. Now that sound, it might sound a bit morbid, but it just reminds us that, you know, we have a limited time and to be effective and to do the things we need to do and to do them well, we have to be quite judicious about how we spend time. Um, have you found that what's happened in the last 12 months has changed your view of how you, where you get energy from and where you spend time and how effective it is? It's actually really funny that you mentioned um, when you spoke about your one-hour walk this morning, I just imagine how rejuvenating and refreshing that was. I think the attachment um, back to what I was like at corporate, I'm in front of my computer, I'm being productive. I really switched out of that. What's fascinating, this kind of annoys me. It's a trait of mine, but I will get my best ideas when I am out walking. And so I'll be at the front of a computer, I'll be like trying to push an idea and I just can't do it. And I'll step away, go for a walk, and I have the answer. Um, so I've got to actually like let go of a lot to create that space in order to to be creative. And um, so that's what's what's really important for me. I love that you spoke about the one o'clock lull. I actually make dinner at lunchtime because I get a, another surge of energy sort of later on in the day, and I just don't want to cook dinner later on. So it's just everyone's got their own little intricacies and ways of working. Um, but yeah, a lot of the time people call me and they're like, oh, you must be busy. It's like, no, I'm actually at the dog park, but I've just solved something. <laughs> like I've just got the answer. So I, yeah, I, my work day is pretty, I think it's pretty unconventional to what people expect that I'm doing. Mm. And they think, you know, you're all, always on LinkedIn or you're not, or they think you're always training or not. Um, so downtime is as important as uptime. What about, uh, what about weekends? I'm curious, how do you, do you set aside time on weekends? Protect? Do you? I mean, I've I found recently, just to give my example, I've um, I've I tried two weeks ago to do a no screen day. It was amazing. Literally, no no TV, no computer, no phone. Kind of weird, actually, but it worked. Have you tried something like that? That's such a great. You should run a challenge for your listeners—a no screen day challenge. Um, so my husband actually works fly in, fly out. He works seven days away, seven days home. So I try and structure it so when he's away, I'll just do interviews like this with you, Mark, and like I'll just work the whole time because I love what I do. It's not really work. Um, but then he, when he gets back, I like try and have some time with him. So that's one way that I've been reworking uh, time. So weekends, I don't. Like over the weekend, he was away, so that was work time for me. Um, but also reading and getting into stuck into books and podcasts and just um, getting that recharge time for myself. Okay, number seven then, relationships. What's important to you there? What have you learned in starting a training business in terms of relationships? Oh, it's all about, I mean, we, we this is like Captain Obvious here. It's all about relationships. But um, I remember the week before I left my corporate job, I flew down to Sydney to run a train the trainer event for the company that I was working for. We were part of a big, uh, we had a parent company and I was talking to the head of learning development over a cocktail that evening. And she said to me, oh, Leanne, what do you want to do in future? Like, where are you going to go? Um, I said, oh, look, eventually I want to live in Asia. And she said, oh, Asia, would you like to run our leadership programs in Asia? Uh, I was like, yeah, yeah, that'd be great. And that happened. Like there was no planned strategy at all. It was a peer-to-peer -peer conversation. I gave her an idea of what I wanted to do in future. And I got that contract, which sent me all around Singapore, Hong Kong, um, and India uh, for the first six months. So, yeah. But I mean, Mark, how do you, it's, and that relationship wasn't built off that cocktail. That was built off delivering, building trust over, what, five years of just being, um, yeah, just providing value where I could. So 
the thing about relationships, it's always long game. And sometimes I hesitate with, oh, having a coffee conversation, like where is the, as you said, we've got to protect our time. But it's hard sometimes because you think this relationship is a, and I don't want to be transactional with it and be like, oh, is it worth building up? But it's, I always find that every time I have invested in a relationship, you get, you get so much back. And um, yeah, so I just wanted to share that story of just examples of how serendipitous sometimes a training business can be when we try and be left brain about it, but things like that can, can just happen. I think I've said this before that the, we're not in the training business. We're actually in the people business. The people business is a training business and vice versa. Um, we are in the the sphere of helping people to be the very best that they can be. And, and understandably, if, if someone's saying, who can I trust to put in front of my people who will be reliable, who will uh, be true to the brand, um, who can represent me because I'm making a decision here to hire a trainer or facilitator, um, that comes down to relationship. It's trust. So we can make untold numbers of, of, of um videos on LinkedIn. We can record all kinds of podcasts. We can write articles and, and produce eBooks and things like that. But ultimately it comes down to that human angle. And more than, more than I can actually care to remember the number of times someone has just said something to me. And I think I'd forgotten I did that. Um, and that person said, yeah, this is why I'm talking to you. Cause, cause you're the first person I thought of when X came to mind or X was discussed with senior leadership and and this transpires and it's just the relationships that you have are i think directly linked to the amount of success you'll have when it comes to people hiring you trusting you spending money on you it's it's how they feel about you it's that relationship and i can think of times when i've literally said why am i writing stuff why am i recording stuff but then something happens, even a year down the line, someone heard something and, and it, that comes up in conversation. Um, so any consultant listening to this, any person who's been convinced that the way to go is to invest time and money into products, I would say true to a degree, but time and money into relationships, binding people to you like hoops or with hoops of steel, as Shakespeare said, those are the people that will prove to be not just friends, but people who and sometimes I found that actually people who are customers become friends in, in the strangest of ways. It could be a hobby. It could be something that we, we share a, a view on. Um, but I found that some clients go on to actually be the kind of people I could lift the phone and talk to about, about things. And that's the relationship that very few providers will have with everyone. Someone said to me a number of years ago that um, if you think of, of business generation, you could divide business into three thirds. The first third is the stuff you'll get because people like you, they know you, they trust you, you've worked with them before, you're related to them, all that kind of stuff. The second third is the stuff you'll never get because that's just because it's, it's stuff other people have. Um, they don't necessarily relate to you. They don't understand your brand, your messaging, your positioning. It's really hard work. To, to recognize that. And the third third, that's the stuff that's up for grabs. That's the stuff that comes down to you working the relationships that you have and doing those things which help you to stand out. Uh, perhaps it, it's an approach. Perhaps it's the way you talk to people. Perhaps it's the way you make people feel about you and your training brand, your coaching brand, your facilitation brand. But that's a 33% where you can really make a difference. And, and it's not down to products. It's not down to blog posts. It's down to actual feelings. 
And that brings to mind, again, that book by Cialdini, which is the science of persuasion. And that's, I think, the second or third principle, the principle of liking, which means that people like people who are like them and like them. When people like you and have an emotional connection to you, which means a relationship, they're more likely to hire you, to trust you, and to spend money on you. Absolutely. And I love that you mentioned there's a a huge connection between that first third, the people that already like and trust you, and then using them as evangelists for that second group, that whole social proof and the referrals, that's that's how you channel it in. Actually, I love that you've, you've, you've quoted a few poets here, Yeats and Shakespeare. Can I quote a poet for you? <laughs> David, David White, one of my favourite quotes, he says- David White, oh, okay. Yeah, that which you can plan is too small for you to live. And I think that can apply here with our trading business and our relationships. That which you can plan is too small for you to live. So what's your interpretation of what that means? Uh, well, we can have, like I go through every year like, like everyone else does and I have, oh yeah, this is what I'll plan and, and these will be my revenue goals and these will be the clients I'll go for. Um, but the things that have, what's taken me by surprise is how that's, well, COVID is an example of not, of not a great plan that's happened. But um, I, when I was working internally, like I, I talk about Jenny Blake a lot, listen to a podcast every day, it got me through corporate life. And then um, through a s- sequence of events, she ended up flying me to Paris to run workshops with her for Chanel. There's no way I could plan have planned that. That sounds like a dream job, actually, flying to Paris to do work for Chanel. <laughs> yeah, well, it was exactly. So I got, remember when I got the email, I woke up to the email because of the time difference sent through first thing in the morning, I read it. I just couldn't believe it, right? So that's an example. Like we can do all these things to position ourselves and we have to, we have to do those things to position ourselves. So think about, you know, brand positioning, the relationships, all of that. But then we really, what can life can throw us can be something even more magical. And that's why I love uh, being being a solopreneur and being in my own business is that it's unlimited. There's, there's no there's no ceiling. Yeah, uh, and, and I, I have to say, I'm still thinking about that, what you've just said. Um, we, we can't plan, we can plan processes, we can plan systems, we can't always plan opportunities because they're in the hands of other people. That's why they're opportunities. And the relationships that we build now may not pay dividends today, but they will pay dividends at some point. And it's funny how the introductions happen. You receive a call and someone said, yeah, X mentioned you. And you think, I haven't spoken to X for X number of years. And uh, it just happens out of the blue. Um, so it's having this, I suppose, uh, abundance mindset. You also mentioned, I think you mentioned the gathering. Was was that in reference to Priya Parker's book, The Art of Gathering? Oh, I love that book. Right, yeah, okay. amazing. Why don't yeah. we just spend a minute before we wrap up here, what, what that book's about, because that's been very influential for many trainers and facilitators, The Art of Gathering by Priya Parker. Oh, gosh, there's so many elements of that book I would like to share in a minute. Um, I think my favourite my favorite thing that she talks about is that your event has started before it has even started. I think a lot of the time as workshop facilitators working with clients, we think, oh, yeah, so it's really game on once that workshop begins. But the second that you're in that conversation, as I'm sure many of your previous guests have, have spoken about, every opportunity is like a touch point for you to surprise and delight your client um, before you actually even step into a workshop room. So how I've taken that um, whole philosophy of what Priya talks about, even with virtual, is uh, last month I was talking to the professional speakers of South Africa. Um, so I pretty much wrote the marketing copy for them to promote the workshop I was delivering for them. Um, I created a video. Um, intro, just setting expectations beforehand, sent that out to participants, just little touch points along the way to create that experience and hype, I think, for your workshop because workshops 
don't have the strongest brand, people kind of roll their eyes if they think, oh, we have to go to a workshop. So where I can, I just try to create, um, take a real marketing approach to running workshops and really hype things up beforehand, set a level of expectation. Um, and that's one probably a key lesson from, from Priya's book. So Priya, for people who have not heard of her, was a facilitator. In fact, she still is a facilitator, right? She's um, She talks about um, high-powered gatherings around the world. And in the book, she talks about, you know, the kinds of events that um, she's experienced doing, what works, what doesn't work, and why. So it's a book that's full of, I think, real-world applications for facilitators, for trainers. Um, it's something that we could recommend. And it's something I'll stick in the show notes to today's episode. But um, Leanne, thank you so much for taking time this evening from from gorgeous Brisbane. Uh, it's been a couple of years since I was there, but um, where can people find out more about you? Yeah, sure. So they can uh, find out about the work that I deliver at leannehughes.com or if they're a facilitator and they want more uh, ways, ideas just to facilitate unpredictable workshops that predictably work, they can listen to my podcast, First Time Facilitator. And Mark, you're going to be a guest on that show soon as well. So they can tune into that. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. My sincere thanks to Leanne, Leanne Hughes. You can check out Leanne on firsttimefacilitator.com or leannehughes.com. And of course, my thanks to you for your time today, wherever you are right now, in the gym, perhaps traveling at home, maybe in bed, perhaps about to go to bed, I don't know. But uh, wherever you are, I appreciate your time. I know there are plenty of podcasts out there which you could listen to. And Leanne is a fantastic podcast. Please check that out too. But thank you for your loyalty as well to this one. And you can listen to any podcast you like, and I listen to loads as well. You can also suggest episodes. And if you've got guests in mind or topics you'd like to talk about or have me talk about with you and other people, then I'd love to hear those from you. And you can reach me directly on mark at trainingbusiness.com. That's mark at trainingbusiness.com. It's funny how so many episodes and guests have been suggested by listeners. So please keep those coming. I welcome all kinds of feedback, positive and of course critique, which helps to improve the show for people just like you and me out there in the business of training. You can subscribe to the podcast on your platform of choice. There is a fresh episode every single Thursday without fail on your podcast platform of choice, be it Apple, Stitcher, Spotify and more. But until next Thursday, when I look forward to your feedback and your company again, take care, keep training and look after yourself. Bye for now. once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Go to trainingbusiness.com and subscribe right now to be notified of great competitions, upcoming VIP episodes, and amazing special offers to help you succeed in your training business. See you next time.